The following is a production of the Phoenix Studios Podcast Network here at the University of Wisconsin-Green Bay. For more podcasts, be sure to visit uwgb.edu forward slash podcasts. This is Serious Serious Fun. Hello and welcome to another episode of Serious Fun. As always, I am your host, Brian Carr, and we've got another live Untitled Town recording for you. This one, a really exciting one. We're talking about hybrid form storytelling. Now, this one was recorded as part of Untitled Town at the Neville Public Museum uh, here in Green Bay. And it's a really cool one um, because we have a lot of different approaches. Now, just, you know, at the risk of being a little bit navel-gazy, since we are a podcast on the Stitcher Network. Thank you, Stitcher. Um, we, this is a show that actually talks a lot about podcasts, so uh, I think it's really interesting to see how different folks are using the form and, and, and uh, format of podcasts to do different things, uh, storytelling. But it's not just about podcasts, it's also about um, putting uh, stories to music and uh, doing all these other kinds of things, and how can we tell stories using more than just words. That's what really kind of attracted me to this panel, I was really excited to be a part of it. Um, so uh, let me tell you a little bit about the people on the panel right now. First up, we have Catherine Gall. She's an award-winning poet and writer, part of the Appleton Storycatcher community. As we'll learn, she has a lot more going on as well. B.J. Holler is the author of several books, including one that just came out um, about the Road South personal stories of the Freedom Riders. He also does a radio drama podcast. And Tara Polcati, uh, who is the founder of Appleton Storycatchers, um, who has a book, of, a collection of essays and poetry about motherhood called Dreamcatcher. She also runs the Storycatchers podcast and does a lot of cool stuff with that. So um, I'm I'm not going to talk too much more. I'm going to turn it over to them. But uh, if you're interested in telling stories in different ways, this is a good one. So stay tuned for that right here on Serious Fun. Everybody, welcome to Untitled Town on a Sunday. How's everybody doing? You can, you can clap. <laughs> We're, I know we're in a museum, but it is okay to, to clap in this one instance. I'll allow it. Uh, my name is Dr. Brian Carr. I'm an assistant professor of communication, information science, and women and gender studies at the University of Wisconsin-Green Bay. Um, I am also a podcaster, and I'm, I'm very interested in like hearing about other people's stories and seeing the different kind of things they can do uh, with different kinds of media. So this is a really exciting panel to, to uh, be moderating. So I'm not going to talk too long here. I just want to do a quick introduction of our panelists. Um, uh, right here we have Catherine Gall. Everybody say hi to Catherine. Hi, Catherine. <laughs> she's an award-winning poet and writer. She holds a dual, de uh, dual degrees in English and nursing. She's an Appleton story catcher, ballroom dancer, cook, writing coach, and friend to many. Her works appear in many literary journals and other shows. I'm not even going to try to pronounce it. Frastic? Is that, is that the word? Okay, cool. I got it right. First try. <laughs> uh, as well as in a call to nursing. Um, over there on the other end we have BJ Hollers. Hi, BJ. Uh, he is the author of several books, most recently, uh, and from the mouths of dogs, what our pets teach us about life, death, and being human, uh, in the spring of 2018, so pretty soon, right? Yeah, yeah. I wrote that a couple months ago. It's yeah. out now. It's oh, it's out now. <laughs> so his latest work, The Road South, Personal Stories of the Freedom Riders, is published now. You can go, you can go get it now. So, not uh, right now. Not Wait right now. <laughs> you, you in my can, backpack. Yeah. Oh, nice. Nice. Uh, and right down here, and last but not least, we have Tara Polcott. Polkati? Yep. Polkati. Oh, so close. I'm sorry. You're, no, everybody You're the founder of Story Catchers, published poet, author, and award-winning blogger. Latest standalone work is a collection of essays and poetry surrounding motherhood called Dreamcatcher. 
Uh, so thank you for coming. We're very excited to have you. So let's have a quick round of applause for our panelists here. Um, so we're going to do this. I'm going to, uh, they, they all kind of have a couple things they want to say, kind of get started. So pass the mic around. I think BJ's got the mic first. So by, by default, I guess he goes first. Uh, and then I'll have some questions. We'll have some conversation. And then we'll probably just open it up to the Q&A from the audience and just go from there. Okay. So BJ, take it away. All right. Well, hey, everyone. Thank you so much for coming out. Who's having a good old time? Good time. Yeah. This is exhausting. You folks work people hard. I love it. It is such a blast. Eating sushi deep into the night. It's fantastic. Um, now, I know you're all here to hear about my water slide director, so I want to just give a little information and background. No, I'm just kidding. It was a dare. It went very well. Um, I got a free Gatorade at the end of 101 times down a water slide. I, I feel like that's worth it. Like right there, Gatorade. <laughs> I, had to, I had to push a lot of kids out of the way to make this record work, um, so I'm not proud of myself. Nonetheless, it did make the Wikipedia page. So, um, no, I'm just kidding. More, more seriously, I'm so happy to be here with my panelists. And as we talked about a few minutes ago, uh, we're really excited to hear more about what you all are working on in terms of innovative forms and how we can support your efforts and offer some some modest um, suggestion and feedback where we can. Um, as mentioned, uh, I'm primarily a nonfiction writer, so I love essays and I love narrative nonfiction about history. Um, and a lot of that work uh, leads me to talking to people. And I love interviews. Last summer, when I was two summers ago now, when I was doing uh, research for that Road South book with the Freedom Riders, basically I got in the car and I retraced the original journey that the Freedom Riders took and I knocked on doors and I talked to all the original Freedom Riders and sat on a porch swing next to Dr. King's former neighbor and hearing all the cool stories of, you know, Dr. King walking down the street, waving to the family, going to get his haircut in that place there, playing, playing pool in that place there. It was such a cool story to hear and I remember thinking to myself, I wish I had that on tape, I wish I had recorded that. And as a nonfiction writer, it's tricky because I feel like when I am recording, I don't want to be like, tell me your story, like shove it in their face in the way you would need to to get good audio for, a, say, a podcast, because then the kind of turn off from giving the information I need for the book, you know, so it's really hard to balance both of those at the same time. Um, and so while I do do a lot of the writing, I think what I'm here mostly to talk about um, are my uh, amateurish forays into podcasting. Um, I think we've got some experts here to my left, but it is such a cool and innovative form. And so thinking about, well, why do you, anyone here like podcasts? Do you enjoy them? What do you like about them? What's, what's exciting for you about listening to them? The range of topics that are available, range the variety. Yeah, that's great. Anyone else? I like that they're usually conversational. Yeah. It keeps me a little more engaged and listening to something. Great. Audiobook, something else. Me too. Conversational. There's something engaging about it. Drawing you in. Anything else over here? Yes, okay. that was a big part of my prepared remarks. It's a lot safer to listen to a podcast than try to balance the book on your knees when you're driving a car. So for safety reasons alone, podcasts are really worth it. We're just here to help save the world. <laughs> <laughs> just a takeaway. The life you save may be your own, as James Dean once said. Um, and so I've, I've kind of worked on two different podcast series. One um, is called Snippets. Uh, snippetspodcast.com for those of you listening at home, which is surely none of you. Um, it's not it's not a very well-known thing. It's kind of something I do more for my family. And so uh, the subtitle is A Memoir in Sound. And basically I walk around with this guy here, got my H2 Zoom recorder, maybe 140 bucks or so. And I just try to capture kind of cool moments with my kids. Um, and so one is like the first Major League Baseball game my son and I went to last summer and just you wouldn't imagine the beauty that you can capture when you least expect it. The walk home when the bus drops you off at one in the morning because of extra innings and the weird things that come out of your five-year-old's mouth at that time. And it's, it's really beautiful what you, can, what you can capture when you have that button pressed. 
Um, so I can say more about snippets later. Um, the other one I'm working on is a radio drama, and this is sort of different than uh, what I'm used to because it's not nonfiction, it's fictional. And so I got some buddies together. I teach creative writing at the University of uh, Wisconsin-Eau Claire, but I have a middle school teacher collaborator in town. We have a physicist, we have a graduate student, and together the four of us wrote this really cool eight episode series called Bend in the River. Um, so basically a 25 year old guy uh, tries to go to his grandpa's funeral. Along the way, he learns from the radio that the bridge is out, so he has to take the old ferry. He meets the old ferry driver. Of course, he gets transported back to 1958, where he, of course, has all kinds of time-space continuum issues and Soviet threats, still Soviet threats, um, and all kinds of fun stuff and chaos ensues. So um, those are kind of the two worlds I'm working in, and they're both, I think, fun for different reasons. So we can, again, talk more about that later, but one is, capturing something true that for me is really poignant and something that will be meaningful, you know, at least to my close personal friends and family, if not a wider audience, though I'm shooting for that kind of hitting the touchstone that will resonate outward. And also the radio drama stuff, which is a chance to really like have a lot of fun with some friends if you want to collaborate, um, bring the local radio station on board, bring the local theater scene on board, do the voice acting. And you know, by the end of that, we had maybe 30 people involved in this project and it was just, Kind of like herding cats. It was incredibly difficult to get that many people in a room together, but really rewarding too. And there's every Friday night at seven now, so it's been a real, a real fun success. So I'll pass the mic on. Awesome. I don't know how to. I have no world records, so I don't even know where to start with this. Um, like he said, I'm Tara, and um, so I think. Always by trade, I've been a little bit of a hybrid. Um, I think it's also called like a rule breaker or someone who doesn't def um, find themselves defined really well by um, the mediums that are out there. Um, so I write by trade, um, but I found myself with writing um, a little bit isolated. Um, I don't know if any of you who write, you know, you write these wonderful things, but like you still go to the grocery store and like nobody knows that, <laughs> like, which is like still cool, like because I'm still introverted, so I don't want to talk to people like all the time. But for the main part, you know, there was still kind of this disconnect. So, <clears throat> excuse me, in the earlier 2000s when blogging was still kind of a thing, um, that became a huge outlet of you know, like to be able to publish something and walk away and get your kids from school and have a hundred comments, you know, on your blog when you came back of people who were like, yeah, what you're saying resonates or, you know, like I, I felt that too, or the way you're seeing the world, I haven't thought of it that way or, you know, all of those things. So this, this connection point started happening, right? And, um, which was awesome. And I didn't have to talk to him in real life. Um, <laughs> was kind of appealing, but also I got kind of that lonely feeling of like, Okay, I have all of you, like my, my husband's like, oh, are you talking to all of your imaginary friends again? I'm like, yes, leave me alone. <laughs> like, I can't make dinner now. I'm talking to all my friends. Um, but, you know, but there was something to that, that we were still missing that human kind of connection portion of it. Um, I am working on a, um, a novel of my, following my grandparents' love story, and I have... She gave me um, all of the, the love letters that my grandpa had sent to her um, while he was in the Navy, and um, he died when I was in third grade, and so this is kind of from her perspective. But I kind of stumbled into podcasting in the weirdest way, because I don't think that podcasting was even really a thing thing yet, um, or it was, but for cooler people than I, I didn't know about it. Um, but it was to that point of trying to record 
our conversations because accuracy was important. And so <clears throat> me and my MacBook Pro, you know, garage band style, like I just started recording these conversations that I was having with my grandma. And um, listening back to them, I could hear this magic that was there of the intergenerational of like her telling me some story about like legit like backing into like a, a gas tank and it blowing up and her and her friends just leaving and she's like and like the good christian man that susie's dad was he never told on us <laughs> like, like what is what is loving the lord have anything to do with like you starting a fire i don't understand but yeah like she had gotten accused of like <laughs> like um, stealing drugs out of the drugstore for like a meth thing. I don't know, the things you learn about your grandma like are pretty awesome. Like it's all insane. But it was really this kind of connection point of if my grandma has these stories, everybody has these stories, right? And so, um, you know, as I started communicating back and forth with her, she lives in Minnesota and I live here. And so we would write back and forth and I have these little magic moments captured. And, um, you know, I, I, in fact, actually with my mom got a little bit tiffy when she was giving all of these family stories to me. And she was like, well, why didn't I ever know these things about my mom? And, and that is exactly what my grandma said is you've never asked. And so I was the first one that came along and said, tell me your story. Tell me, how did you do this? How did you meet? And so um, it was kind of at that point in time that I realized that while I am drawn to articulating my life in writing, there's something that really magical happens in story, if it were. Um, and so at that point, I was um, getting my master's in human services and marriage and family therapy. And so I started really curving my um, studies to understand that connection of humans and stories and why we are made to tell stories and why, you know, again, look at Facebook, you guys. Like, why do we feel the need to just show each other and tell each other about our dinners? Like, because we really want to connect and we are telling stories, not always good stories. Like, you just have to be on Facebook for a little while. Um, but, you know, but we are still drawn to this connection. And I think that's what podcasts are. Like, I'm pretty sure I'm like best friends with a few podcasters. They don't know I listen, like, but I'm pretty sure that, you know, like you hear their voices and they're in your homes and, you know, there's a really big connection point. But again, all of those things weren't, um, you know, weren't in person. And that was when I started Storycatchers. Um, and it's as a nonprofit, it kind of has three prongs and hybrids, if you will, because I started going to some of the writing retreats and, and some of that. And um, I still... <clears throat> felt a little of the clicky, like, oh, these are the people that have been published for a long time, and then here's the new girl that comes in and, like, sits in the back, and, you know, like, and um, so I, I was still looking for that community, if you will, and so I knew that whatever I created, I didn't want it to be just one thing, um, and so that it's been hard for people to kind of understand that, They're like, well, what is Story Pictures, and I'm like, well, you know, for, for now, and I think it'll continue to evolve as we continue to evolve and the community evolves, but um, it's kind of a three-pronged where we have um, live storytelling nights. So we were just here last night and um, had 14 people um, get up and tell their Stranger Than Fiction stories, and um, it, they range from everywhere. 
Steve, who I just met yesterday at one of these panels, got up to tell you know about a hitman at, at his college because that's a thing that happens with people. And you know, like you find out you're like next to like greatness, like waterslide greatness, <laughs> like you know. And um, and then there were you know, but some really deep ones of you know family name curses and death and all of these things that we all carry inside of us. And unless you ask you won't know. And so we have these live storytelling events and they've been um, super well received by the community. Um, and, but we also have workshops where we get to like work on the stories more one-on-one -on -one and some of that. Um, and then we also do uh, pop-up recording booths, which are some of my favorite things to do. So um, we've done it like at Mild Music where I just set up my recording stuff, get a moderately quiet corner <laughs> you can't at a music festival it's pretty quiet you know hard to get a quiet space but just in having people come in and try to share their stories and that was an interesting story too because when we talk about that of there's this really big freeze that people did they're like well, I don't have anything that's worth recording and that was always just a like and then but then they'd go but if I did, this is the story I'd tell. And they would sit there and tell me, you know, 45 minute stories where I'm like, can we just start like moving this like into the booth? And that's actually what we ended up doing. It almost felt like a Lucy, like with my five cent sign out of like the recording booth where I was like, so tell me about your life. Um, but again, it's, it's this, we have, we have disconnected with the power of our own stories, I feel. And it's, it's time to bring those back. And I think podcasting is another new way. You know, podcasting is a little bit more the new, the new blogging in that you get these different conversational polls, all of these different topics It can go, you know, mine, it looks neurotic if you follow like the podcasts I listen to, which are like, oh, pop culture. And it's like, then it's like terrible things for asking, which is one of my favorite ones. Like where, you know, like it just ranges the human condition. So. You know, um, and I've gotten to now for the last three years, we go by semester, so it's, I don't know how many, but three years, um, teach podcasting in our Renaissance School for the Arts um, in Appleton. And that has been super fun to have a bunch of high schoolers who like, you know, opinions are aplenty and um, artistic expressions are um, a wonderful thing. And just to give them the space and some of the skills um, to do it, and so it's been a it's been a really fun ride. But um, yeah, it'll it'll keep keep changing, I'm sure. <laughs> okay, I got here through a long winding road, as the Beatles say. Um, I've done everything from traveled Alaska's Inside Passage to waited tables in Switzerland, to caring for the poor at Johns Hopkins in Baltimore. I was a camp nurse at a 4-H camp where kids didn't want to go on a hike, so they decided to drink some Drano and had to take them to the local ER. So it was a whole bunch of different things. When I found out that I was on a panel called a hybrid panel, a wordsmith, being wordsmith, I'm like, hybrid? Okay, so I grew up on a cattle and beef farm and pigs, and I'm thinking hybrid seed corn. This is all that was in my brain. That's totally what we're here to talk about. Because in agriculture and gardening, hybrid seed is produced by cross-pollinating plants. So every single word in here resonates with what my artistic journey has been. Um, actually, hybrid 
seed has been the main contributor to why we can grow so much crops in the same space in the last 20th century. The alternatives, you know, maybe if you don't have a rural background, you don't know, well, what else was it? It used to be open pollination and what was called clonal propagation, but now we have hybrid, and you'll see the signs if you go down the road. So what does that do? It produces better yield, which is what we're hearing, uh, greater uniformity, improved color, and disease resistance. So for me, um, I'm what you call, I evolved into a multi-genre writer. After 27 years in nursing, with lots of different experiences, I now write fiction, nonfiction, poetry. Um, I have not written a screenplay, but why not? It's dialogue, right, if you listen to what people say. Um, I also teach the gifted and talented fourth graders at Heritage Hill, which has been an interesting experience because I've only been doing that for three years, and I've noticed this past year, and the teacher affirmed it, the students want to get it right. They are so afraid of busting open, and that's the downside of this digital world. They can see what everybody else is doing, and it's very hard for them to find their creative soul. So um, last year we sort of blew the top off of it with they were working on the floor, with literally moving lines and words around, and I kept saying, make a mess. And I heard one of you say, make a mess. Be and don't be so afraid. You know, so to me, that's what hybrid is. There's a great uh, website called Talking Writing, and they had a hybrid poetry contest. And if you looked at that, it was a combination of historical data, footnotes, some just straight narrative history, and then this gorgeous poetry. So there was another form of hybrid. My hybrid thing was I always wanted to combine different art forms, not just audio and visual, but as a dancer, I wanted to do some movement with it. And my son said, well, haven't you seen Steve Allen with Jack Kerouac? Well, I didn't, but then I did. And here's Steve Allen playing the piano, and Kerouac comes in, and he starts reading on the road. And Steve Allen could pick up the beat, the action, the, the tempo of what Kerouac was reading. I would also encourage you to, if you look at something hybrid, go online and look at the Lawrence University Jazz Poetry Quartet. You know, there's a guy on a, just on a box beating, there's a bass, and there's an instrument from Australia called the didgeridoo. I mean, this is the name of it, right? The didgeridoo. There should be a podcast for that. <laughs> well, you might get... There might. I don't know. Some other... So, <laughs> I'm, you know, so I submit this proposal for Untitled Town with just this concept, which you'll hear many people talk about. They have a concept with no plan of action, like, how am I gonna pull this off? My concept was to combine poetry, music, and movement. And the first person I met with said, I think you got the wrong idea. I don't think this is gonna work. Well, in the end, it did work, and I had a jazz pianist, an acoustic guitarist, and a ballroom dancer. And we produced a show that, um, 
again, I made a mess. You know, we made a mess. It was a collaboration, which I think is, you know, where new ideas come from. You get with people and you think something and you think something else and you say, well, how would this look? How would this work together? And the people that I ran into, really the universe dropped into my lap. One of them turned out to be an audio engineer at a local um, TV station. And he was a multi-instrumentalist. And at one point we pull out one poem, it's called Wire Barnes Red, which has nothing to do with Wire Barnes Red. It's a pretty funny poem. And he's like, I think you like this on the piano? No, that doesn't work. How about the guitar? No, that doesn't work. It's got a different sound to it, because we're, we're sound people, right? I got something in the basement. He went down in the basement, brought up an Italian accordion that was 80 years old from his grandpa. And his whole, you know what's going on, his whole story unrolled in, that's what we did. So from hybrid seed corn to, to do all this stuff to make a mess, to then let's find a way to pull it back, that we don't over-digitize ourselves, that we can still work with letterpress or create on an old-fashioned typewriter or, you know, do different, do different forms. Amen. All right, so there's a lot to uh, pick up on from here. My notes are kind of all over the place. So uh, what, what I'll do is, I mean, I mean, first off, I mean, DJ, I think you got a better recorder than I do, so I'm kind of jealous. Um, uh, but, um, so there's a, a lot to talk about here, and uh, I want to kind of start off, like, uh, from a storytelling standpoint, what kind of freedom, what kind of advantages do you think using this more non-traditional form, whether it's um, putting poetry and, and words to music or... Um, using visuals and painting, or making podcasts, or doing that kind of stuff. What kind of advantages uh, do you think that per uh, that provides for storytelling that you wouldn't get through, say, just writing words on a page? Well, here's my medical background. And I think what it does is it accesses different parts of your brain, because the language center is one part of the brain, but the amygdala, where all the emotions are, is actually your limbic system, so it's nonverbal. Mm -hmm. So by movement, you can get to things that you can't get other ways. But when you use everything that you were made of, you get something different. And you and you change your expectations, like Tara was saying, I gotta get it right. No, you just you just gotta get it. I think that would be my biggest thing. Um, I think BJ's touched on it, and Catherine certainly has as well, but um, getting rid of that permission piece um, and having that conversation. When we have these little recorders, which is what I mainly use as well, um, I, I use it that way for a functionality of, um, I also have done some radio work as well, and that was always a different beast when you come into the studio and you're staring at each other, and like, your voice changes. You have this whole like, oh crap, I'm, <laughs> this is this is for real. <laughs> and um, there's something about um, these, even this, these smaller recordings, um, the people oftentimes forget that you are recording. You know, you, you start recording before they realize you're recording so that it's kind of comfortable and it's off to the side, right? And then you're having that human connection part, part too. And, but what I found with, um, with 
even the audio and the recording, even that part, it's also wonderful. It gives freedom to like, oh, I will, I will, don't worry about saying the perfect thing. I can find your story within your conversation. Um, you know, and that's, and actually, um, if we're gonna talk about um, all kind of art forms, but that, that's been the hardest part. Um, this last year, I collaborated with the, our um, Homeless Connections, our homeless shelter, to record the voices of those who are experiencing homeless. And they um, had the opportunity to just talk to me about their life. It was very, very open to, you don't need to talk about being homeless. You don't need to talk about anything. Just what is the story you would like to come in here and have me know? And, and again, it's, you know, you sit with someone for an hour to two hours and they're just, they're selling, you know, they're just telling you their whole life. Um, and that was the hardest thing. Like my family was, I mean, they were literally making fun of me because down in the basement, I was like, I can't cut this. Like, cause this is such a part of how you got here. You know, like this isn't, and that's what I actually like with podcasts and, and all of these that we're talking about that hybrid form is there isn't a formulatic approach to it. So if I need Victor, one of my um, people, he, he needed, it's a 20 minute podcast because that was all I could do, <laughs> and even then I felt like, I'm so sorry, I'm cutting this part out because it's it's part of your story. Um, and then other, you know, the, the Story Catchers podcast that we have are very intentionally just our five minute story. So they're easy, congest uh, like, you know, able, able to bite before you go in um, to wherever you are. Target parking lot is where I am most times, so that is where I consume most of my podcasts. Um, but you know, so that format is intentionally short, so you can hear just a snippet of someone's story, and you get to carry that with you, you know, into your day. Um, but again, there are no rules because it's this newer, um, this newer art form, and I think what you're doing, there are no rules with it, and I think that that's that's the draw of hybrid anything to me, and I think why. The traditional, you know, traditional writing, there are people who can and there are people that cannot. And I think podcasting and blogging and um, creating it and all the ways that we're talking about, that really strips that distinction of there are those who do. And that is, that is the important part, is that you do. And it doesn't have to be perfect. And if nobody knows what you're doing, then you get to make it whatever you want to do, you know? So... Um, when I talk to my students, I talk a lot about the um, ice sculpture theory, you know, where you know, start, you guys start with a big block of ice, and then from that you whittle away until you find the beauty beneath. And I think about, that could work for writing. I think a lot of my students and I always encourage them to overwrite, just write a lot, and we'll find the beauty that's in there. Um, but also for podcasts, it's a different muscle in my head, too, where I'm just there recording everything with no clear intention or no idea of narrative arc or where the story's going to go. I'll figure that out in post. You know, I'm going to go back and listen to it and say, that's the quote. That's the moment. I'll add some voiceover narration, get the right music. Suddenly you've curated a story um, that maybe wouldn't even have existed had you not curated it that way. It kind of makes it sound like I'm making it up. Um, but it's just kind of refashioning in a way that might be more meaningful to listeners and uh, appeal to your audience. Whereas when I'm writing a book or an essay, um, I have a lot more direction. You know, I have a finite uh, sources, I have finite quotations, and I gotta work within those. And I guess in some ways that's also like podcasts. You can't really do the double take of the, the organic moment that develops. Sometimes you just work with what you have. So maybe there are actually more similarities there as I talk my way through that. Um, but either way, starting with a lot and then looking for that, that kernel of beauty within, I think is really um, the, the writer and the podcaster's job is to find that.
Well, so and, and I think it's interesting uh, from coming from that perspective, especially somebody who does radio dramas. I think you can all speak to this in some level. Uh, is is the idea of you know there's in, in radio uh, where I used to work there's there's a uh, concept called theater of the mind, right? You're letting the audience fill in the gaps and you're letting them kind of imagine things. And I think that's always been a part of storytelling, right? We imagine the character looks a certain way on a page, that kind of thing. Um, so in, in the kind of work you do for all of you. Um, Let's let's talk about that concept. Let's talk about the idea of theater of the mind. Um, how do you kind of like? Can you can you trust the audience fill in the gaps? Are there things you kind of try to do to kind of nudge them in a certain direction? Um, what do you do to kind of like convey a story in media that are often not necessarily visual? I know, um, I, I know, Catherine, you've got some visual elements. We can talk about that as well. Um, but let, let's let's kind of elaborate on that because I think that's an interesting thing to talk about. Well, I'll, I'll briefly speak and pass it along, but there's something really beautiful in, about the trust that goes on between a listener and the person who creates it, where I am just giving you these parts of it, you know, and there's like the intimacy of listening to someone do dishes or someone walk the dog that's barking, you know, those are all really cool moments, and so um, has anyone Ray Bradbury Theater, have you ever heard of this? It was like in the 80s, it's not a great show, I love Ray Bradbury, um, but not a great show, but there's a great uh, series called Ray Bradbury 13, which was on NPR, and these stories... I listened to them every night in high school before bed for like four years straight, the same 13 stories, and they were just so riveting. It was because the audio version allowed me to fill in those blanks in a way that was most meaningful to me, and it allowed me to, to know those people on my terms. But then when you watch that exact same episode in the Ray Bradbury theater form where you've got the two-bit actor who's not very good and kind of clearly not doing his job very well, it ruins it for me, you know? So I really like that, that trust that can develop. And there's something magical about that collaboration we don't even think about between the listener and the person trying to give you those sounds. This is where I'll um, try to keep my nerd girlness to a minimal. I won't be able to quash her all together. But um, <laughs> this, this is something that I spent a lot of time in, um, in my studies kind of understanding this. Of, how our brains work in story and how um, you know all the research will show is that our brains only work in story and it's actually you're like what do you mean but it, like we're looking for meaning um, and so when I you know well you've heard me say this before so spoiler I won't like, yeah you're, you're, um, but you know when when I tell you a story about um, my grandpa and I start telling you about him automatically your brain not intentionally but it conjures up some version of grandpa right and so now what what your brain does is it's trying to look for like information to put um, put what you have just heard in with so it's almost like little filing cabinets where it's like where is my grandpa file like and, and here it is and truly um, by listening to stories and engaging we get to expand and really change our brains um, to include whatever this new version of grandpa you know because if I tell you oh like my mind was like super big and strong and yours is frail and um, quiet you know now you have these two versions that our brains where they fire don't make a distinction about the things we have lived and the things we have taken in and story form, which can be awesome and it can be scary. Um, but, you know, but, but it, so I think that, that that space for the audience, that's the number one thing that I will give new tellers when they're going to tell a story. Don't, don't take up your time with every single detail that takes you somewhere. I mean, I, there's this 
beautiful example of this, of this teller, and it happens when we're nervous too, so that's totally fine, but um, she was a new teller and she was like, well, my dog was really old. She was 12 at the time. Well, no, maybe she was 13. Well, I think it was June, so I think she was 12. No one cares how old your dog is. Just say she's 12. Like, you are the, you are the authority on the matter. It doesn't change. We just need to know she's old, like, and, and then we can get on. Like, so, but that space, and, and that is, I send this, um, you know, this same email to my tellers at, uh, before everything, and it is, Trust that the audience will follow your story um, because you're, we're going to look for meaning. And it's going to be probably different meaning than you meant, which is also this really interesting thing that happens. Like, that's a, anytime I have something published where people are like, oh, I really loved how you meant this thing. I was like, oh, that makes me sound really smart. Like, I mean, that, yes, I did mean that. Like, but because it is this relationship that you have with whoever consumes the art that you produce, it no longer belongs to you. It belongs to this creative connection that you have, you have made. And so I, I think for that, there's a lot of that trust that needs to happen. You need to lay enough groundwork that they can follow where you're going, um, but allow them to fill that in. Um, and I think that that gives space and arc and drama and all the good things you want in a story. When you ask about theater of the mind, I see my father in the barn hand milking cows and listening to his barn radio. Mm -hmm. All scratchy, Jack Benny, uh, Gracie Allen, <clears throat> Bugging, George, that was theater of the mind. You know, you can listen to it on Wisconsin Public Radio. Now I think it's on Sunday night, old time radio, and you'll hear the gaps, the pauses, that's the power of theater. So that's my first thought, of, you know, that we've, we've come from a long, rich tradition of where we are now. We just have different digital tools yeah, coming back to stream yeah. it, you know, instead of like, I gotta turn on at eight o'clock on, you know, this night, and then I'll listen to that. Um, my second comment would have to do with kindergartners. If you listen to a kindergartner tell a story, it flows organically and naturally. And then that happened, and then that happened, and then that happened. And even though they do uh, tend to go chronologically, there's a beauty to it, and there is no, um, there's no fear yeah. of telling the story, and they'll get the punchline as well, they'll get to where they're going. So I think that's a beautiful thing. Um, my last comment has to do with Ted Kuzer. Ted Kuzer was the poet laureate of the United States, I forgot, eight, 10 years ago, yeah. some time ago. And he was an actuary in an insurance company and everyone smoked, including him, and he ended up getting throat cancer. So while he was having his throat cancer treatment, um, he met, his ENT, who then started looking at the world through his eyes, and he looked through the doctor's eyes. Fast forward to now at the University of Nebraska, when medical students are in school there to, I guess in my brain, this is theater of the mind, they're taking them to art museums and having them shut their mouth and look at art. And they discovered in pretty much a controlled blind study that, you know, I don't know if you know, but medical students are recorded in their interactions. You can tell if your doctor passed that part of it or not, and how they're, you know, bedside manner, how empathic, how, because empathy can now be measured, how they're doing. 
So um, that's what came out of that was they found that the medical students who had gone to the art museum, when someone came in, you were not just a gallbladder. You were a complete person, and I could relate to you differently. Which, can I talk about this now? Is that, which brings me to, here's a, a painting by Van Gogh, and it's called um, Old Woman of Arles. And Arles was in the south of France, where, where um, Van Gogh went to paint. And during that period of time, the only person who was his emotional and financial support was his brother, Tail. And so there's this series of letters that went back and forth between them. Unfortunately, only one guy kept the letters. Who do you think kept the letters? Yeah, Tail kept them. So in the letter from Vincent to Tail, he says, a woman is not old as long as she loves and is loved. And so I wrote a poem with that as an epigraph, and it's appearing in an anthology that's coming out this fall called Van Gogh's Dreams. So there's an example in my brain about theater of the mind, how you can fill in the gaps. Your own gap, you know, begin to look at something differently, begin to look at the world around you differently. And I echo what both of them said, to trust the process. You, I don't have to push it in your face for you to understand. And I also honor you that, hey, maybe you have something to bring to this conversation. Maybe when I'm telling my story, it triggers something in you, and triggers, as we know, can be a good or a bad thing. For people in trauma, it's not good. But for joy, it is good. All right, so what we'll do is I've got, I've got some other questions to ask, but I feel like it'd probably be a better idea. Let's open it up yeah. for Q&A right now. Uh, we can come back to some of the prepared questions a little bit later. Uh, so if you have a question, just go ahead and speak up. And uh, if, if, you know, if you're in the back, and I'll, I'll, I'll my mind repeat your question just so we can make sure we got it. Um, but fire away. What's on your mind? Oh, yeah, we could actually even have it hand you the mic if you want to come up and, like, you know, here, you can even use this one if, you wanna, if, if, you're, if you're feeling especially brave. Nobody's feeling especially yeah, good. Come on up. All right, you want, you want to talk on the microphone? Here you go. Uh, sure. Yeah, you do. Uh, so I'm working on a memoir, uh, and I'm interested in doing like uh, audio and possibly doing like YouTube stuff, maybe yeah. reading into the camera, and using like Facebook and Twitter and Pinterest and, and Snapchat or whatever else, um, Instagram. And I guess I'm, I'm curious, it was interesting to hear about the radio drama and I was just pulling that up on my phone because um, I was thinking about doing like maybe like a chapter a day sort of thing up on a podcast. And then I, uh, talking about the radio drama again, I guess I'm interested to hear more about that. If I, I guess I haven't really listened to a whole lot of that and, you know, I mean how that would play out and, you know, maybe writing like a screenplay, like a, just a dialogue of one of the scenes to kind of diversify and get to other mediums, I guess. I'd, Yep. 
Thank you, yeah, um, great question. And um, so the first part, kind of, you know, trying to use social media and stuff to kind of tell your own story, that's something I'm kind of experimenting with more and more. Um, the new project. That's right. Um, this summer, my son and I are going to retrace the Oregon Trail uh, for a new thing. So go westyoungmanbook.com. Is, I got the site up. There's not much there, but like two chapters. But um, we've been doing podcasts, we've been recording. Like, I asked him, like, why do you think people traveled west? He goes, well, it was for like a big dance contest, right? He thought it was like American <laughs> Idol. And it's just so weird how we don't have any concept of what we know and don't know. But I guess the point of that is. We died of um, malaria. Also, died of malaria. Um, <laughs> But, but I'm certainly trying to figure out how to use social media and how to, you know, have your own Facebook page where you can invite your friends and how to make all those things mean something. I, I often worry about that double-edged sword of social media where you desperately want to share the stuff you're really proud of, but you also don't want to spend all your writing time trying to be your marketer, you know? So I think being, what I've learned is I had Instagram, I had Twitter, I had Facebook for all these, for just this, this one project. And I found some were more popular with my audience than others, so I'm kind of retreating from some and putting doubling down on the ones that really make sense for my audience. Um, as to your second question briefly about radio drama, is anyone else interested in radio drama maybe? I won't say too much. All right, cool, I'll say a lot then. Um, it is so fun. And honestly, when I'm thinking of like all the projects I'm working through and like where, my, where the fire is hottest for me right now, it's radio dramas. Um, and again, it's a lot of work if you collaborate because you gotta just get the get the time to figure out how to get everyone in the room together. But everyone in that room had a really unique take on the matter. So I was pretty good at like, you know, just getting the story done, like the producer stuff, like get it through and get it to the voice actors. The physicists always wrote us out of our jams. We'd get in these time-space continuum issues and be like, Jim, how do we handle this, you know? Um, the middle school teacher just top, top-notch dialogue, especially for the kids, because he heard it every day, you know? And so everyone had a really cool role. It was the most fun writing experience I've ever been a part of because we were in my buddy's basement, you know, eating nachos, having a great time for all hours of the night, you know, and then bringing more people on board. So the, the interest grew and grew because we have so many stakeholders involved, you know, from all walks of life and all backgrounds. So you could do it on your own and just write your own and kind of get some voice actors involved. But I just found it was fun to work with the team, and it was more work, but there was more reward for that too. So, and that's I would say with all of it. Um, have you listened to like Welcome to Night Vale? Uh, I mean that one. That one with my with my podcast high schoolers. That's the one they're like, I want to be on Night Vale. <laughs> like, so we've had like nine thousand versions of like high school versions of Night Vale, which is like weird. It's always like a. Well, like, so it's like a fictional town, and they go through this weird, I don't know, I don't know. You just have to listen to it. But ours are always like a mix with like Walking Dead always ends up, zombies end up in it like every time where I'm like, okay, here we are. Like, you know, and they think it's really cool when I let them swear in an episode. It's like it's super fun. Um, but I, I, I think, again, it's that, that playing with it, and it goes back to this like really fundamental thing that we all do, like those voices we hear in our head and, you know, getting to collaborate with people and to do that. Um, for when it comes to the social media parts of all of it, I think it's cool and I think you should try them. And what I find is then find what seems to resonate with people or that you find the most fun to update and to do. I can't, I get it, but I'm not a Twitter word for. Like I, like, I mean, I get it. Like, I totally get it. I know all the writers are on there and I know business wise that's where I should be. Like, but I can't. 
like I'm a writer, so I like succinct time to think probably more than 140 characters. Like, you know, like I, so I like that. So I find though that I'm a visual person. So Instagram for me is like super fun because it usually is like attached to a picture or something, you know, like, so again, I think you, you play with that, um, but don't let that drive you. Like let your passion for it drive you, but then pick up on what people are responding to. Cause I think then you find that way of like you're saying like, oh, well different projects differently have like different faces almost where you're, you know, you go off of it. But yeah, I think you, you start and you have fun and then um, kind of being open to that process. I think for everything, um, that's a really important piece of it is just to see where it goes and not to have too firm of a grip that this is gonna be the next X, Y, or Z, just let it be what it is, and then you'll you'll create your own market that you didn't know you needed. Like, and I think that that's something fun too. I think you could overwhelm yourself with trying to do every medium. So to experiment in what works is gonna be the ticket. Any writer knows that when we create our own work, what will make it better is if we read it out loud to ourselves, right? So that we, we hear things and we catch things that we didn't know about before. In this case, you're already putting it out there, you know, it's for other people to listen to. And so you, I mean, I'm just saying the same thing that they do. They're, they are all different mediums. And there are people who tell, you know, there's flash fiction, there's flash nonfiction, there's, you can tell a whole story in the six words, right? That kind of thing. You could tell a story in, I think you get more than 140 characters now, they double that. Cause we have some I don't know, because I'm not on it. Well, we have some verbose <laughs> like, people, it, so they need more words. <laughs> and, and to do a memoir, then you have to think, well, who's the audience? Who am I writing this for? And what pieces of my story am I going to digitize? These are all wonderful decisions that you get to make. I'm not even sure. I, I have to try and figure out his oops. Oh, come by us. I'll come by you. Come come by. I have to try and figure out how to ask this question in a way that won't take a lot of time. Um, I'm trying to write a memoir. Okay. The reason I'm writing a memoir is because I am a female mathematician who was in college in the 70s and ran into lots of um, opposition to a woman being a mathematician. Um, <laughs> and I think, I think that there's some cultural things going on that the STEM movement, which is wonderful, is there, it's not reaching. I, I think I have something to say on the subject. But when you're a mathematician, everybody thinks you're just like a computer, and really mathematicians have to be very in touch with their intuition. There's this thing called mathematical intuition that I call little voice because it speaks up in your head so that you don't spend months of your life trying to prove something that isn't even true. So for a mathematician, your intuition is a big deal. So it's kind of the story of how my little voice woke up and That's when I started listening to it, voice. you yeah. know, um, I started trying to write it and really run into trouble. You can't go, and the little voice said, you know, it's like, oh, it's the voices in my head. So then I was thinking graphic novel, and you could just put the little letters yeah. down next to your yeah. ear, but 
you know, it, it almost sounds like something that's got to be auditory anyway. Any ideas? Anything helpful? I this is being recorded. Do you want to give us your name? Oh, yes. Okay. <laughs> I'm Lynn Schmidt. Thank you, Lynn. I have good news for you, Lynn Schmidt. You just started your memoir with what you just said to us. It's now recorded. That was fabulous. And Tara and I already said, Little Voices. Little Voice. That's the name. Yeah. That's the name of it. You know, and as a poet, we've now got the literal and the figurative meaning. That what you just did was <laughs> done. Was, yeah, I just keep going. Just go home now. And you, you got and, it. <laughs> and the and the other big thing in whether it's theater or any creative work is voice. Voices, syntax, tempo, pulse is how we tell our individual story, what words we pick to tell it. So you you had all of it right there. Amen, sister. I don't know what else to say. I would say that same thing of what we just were saying about trying it. I would say you try the different formats that you were talking about and find the one where your voice is the strongest. If you're writing it down and you're like, that's not it, that's not my voice, you know, um, then then you try graphic novel and even if it's even if it literally is stick figures that, you know, just to get the storyboard of it down, right? Like, because you can always collaborate with someone that goes, take my stick figure and make it a thing. Like, you know, because you just have to translate that to people along. And, and um, when you start doing that, you will probably find people that go, oh, see, little voice to me, this is how I would personify little voice, right? Um, so don't leave it all to yourself. Don't leave it all in there. Like you've got this nudge and this gut to do it. Try to articulate it and then find people that will help you, um, you know, play with that a little bit more. But I think, you know, that's the fun of it. And and don't hold so tight to all of it. And, and, and one thing I'll say about memoir in general is I think sometimes we try I hear a lot of, I, I have something to say on this subject, but then people think that they somehow have to tell their whole life story to have a voice in that one subject. Start working on those little stories, those little bits. That could be a graphic novel, that could be podcast episodes of, you know, like, so taking it down to vignette size of it is helpful, even if you're going to write a memoir, because then you can kind of stack them up and go, what is that little voice trying to tell throughout this story, too? You know? Get by one of those. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, and if you have an iPhone, like mine, literally people, if they, if I die, I have instructions to my husband to delete all of my audio files on my phone, because it's always like, in the parking lot on somewhere like, oh, this is a really cool day. Like, <laughs> like and then it'll be something like, why don't you try this? Like, it just sounds like, what are you doing? I don't know. But it's capturing that so it's not lost because I am a, I'm a writer. You shouldn't do that while you drive. Um, so that is <laughs> things I try to tell myself. So those are the ways that I capture that of how I, I even. But you're going to be in the cloud and it's going to be up there. No, you have to cut it um, but, um, but to that point of getting it while it's hot and, and forgetting about the finished product of it, I think will really help you be able to create it. Because a lot can come when we're talking, when BJ's talking about start big and then you'll find your way. 
that's what you got to do. You got to start with not worrying about is it a graphic novel, is it a novel, is it a podcast. Get out what you're trying to say, and then find the vehicle to tell that. If that makes sense. I think it was Robert Cross who said the only way out is through, and I think about that a lot. You know, you just got to write your way out of it sometimes in any form that takes. And so, um, one thing I think a lot about with memoir of any variety, so this might apply to you and other memoirists in the room, is does it pass the so what test? And that's kind of a hard way of saying, you know, when, when a reader gets to the end of what you wrote about your life, if he asks, so what, that's a problem, you know, because the stakes should be high enough and it should resonate beyond your own personal experience to have that connection. And so um, that can be one thing to really think about generally. The last thing I'll say briefly, um, as you are trying to figure out the form something takes, the form does matter. You might not figure it out for a long time, but then it will click. Um, I was involved in a really serious tornado um, when I was teaching at the University of Alabama in Tuscaloosa, and I said to my students, all right, I'll see you all on Thursday, take care. And then a tornado struck and 43 people died and I never saw my students again. We didn't die, uh, but we just canceled classes, we made up grades, everyone went home. And I was trying to write about this experience for so long. And I only, like, only time I figured it out was when I wrote an essay in the form of the multiple choice test that I never gave them for their final. And so suddenly that was the way I could get that emotional pull that I couldn't just get through a strict narrative. Um, so the, the, the function and form does matter. And thinking about that only way out is through business, I'm a big believer of process over product. You know, if you just do the process again and again and again, you will get that product. If we're only focusing on the product, sometimes we lose sight of what it takes to get there. And it rings hollow too. If you are, if it's product of, I'm going to do this, and it is going to be great. You know, again, it's letting yourself be open to this hybrid of maybe it's something that's never been created. You know, with all of these things, when I tell people like, oh, I'm going to do this, and people are like, what is it? I'm like, I don't really know. Like, come find out. Like, like, but it's being open to that, right? And then, and then it finds its way. You know, or it doesn't, and then you're on to something else too. That's cool too. That's part of the process, right? We have more questions. I feel like you have a question. Do you have a question? <laughs> you do. You, you feel free to come up. I have about a million questions. Good. And it's okay. I don't okay. want to come up. Yeah. I am a teacher boy. <laughs> um, I started UW-Eau Claire in 1915 <laughs> when there were four buildings. And I love to hear how it's grown. Uh, and, and we had, we, I took I majored in theater, and I took every course there was in radio. We did radio plays. Um, I'm here. I'm using your advice now. I'm skipping. I'm here <laughs> for my grandson. Yeah. Who um, is experiencing all of the things that you're saying, and we just did a trip together to Nashville. Um, and he sent me a multimedia film that was titled Thanks for the Memories. Oh. And it was amazing. <laughs> I don't really even know what a podcast is. Yeah. <laughs> I'm cool. 76. It's, it's radio on demand. Oh, wonder there it is. But yeah. I listen to radio. I have a radio in every room of my house, and I listen to radio all the time. Last night when I was driving home from what the last thing that I heard, um, there was an old radio show on 
Gene Autry on public yeah. radio. Mm -hmm. um, and I remember all those old radio shows. And chapter a day is something oh, yeah. that you might want to read. And I'm amazed that you're wanting to do a memoir when you're so young. Well, are you the one? <laughs> I'm talking to the guy behind. Oh, the oh I was going to say, don't. <laughs> You're very young, but are you the one who won the award for best fiction last night? No, <laughs> just say yes. <laughs> no, just say yes. <laughs> you look just like you. Um, so I'm just thrilled with all the information. I wish Zach was here. Um, I don't. I guess I really don't have a question. No, but I think it's this really great thing that you're a part of this collaboration. You know, even even if you have, if you're not the ones on the dial, right? But you're willing to be in this with him. I think that that's a really great thing. You could do a podcast where it's you telling your life to him or him telling his life to you. And to use these mediums as a way to connect, I think that's really great. And it sounds like the trip already was this connection piece. Um, and I think that there's, that's something to be said for all of this, you know, whether or not my novel ever becomes anything besides I have had that time with my grandma that, we have these things that I can give to my children to say the power of sitting down and, and to do that. So, you know, I think that you're a part of something really amazing. It doesn't matter if you know what the name is or not. And my other grandson and I traveled somewhere in New York or something, and public radio was doing Tell Us Your Story yeah. in a little spoof. Yep. So we went in there and told the story. And in fact, I am having a response um, to a program that is called Away With Words, mm -hmm. um, because I was just so amazed at uh, everything that they were talking about one day, that's on public radio, mm -hmm. Away With Words, um, that I called, and, um, and the producer said, we want to do a show with you. So yeah. I recorded it. it I mean, they recorded it, and yeah. I was just on my phone, and it's going to air, maybe it aired, but if they sent me a notice about when it was going to be on, <laughs> I didn't. Wow. Yeah, I yeah. guess. One, one very brief thing, and your, your comments made me think, I really believe the future is new media, and I think the future is collaborative. And if the whole point of art, of all we want to do, is to seek those connections with others, why not start that out on the process side of things and not just the product that we create? Let's work together and make cool stuff together. And there's just that way you get a reward no matter what. Even if there aren't a million listens, even if there aren't a thousand likes, you still had a good time and made some new friends, and there's something you brought into the world, and that's, that's accomplishment enough. If you listen to public radio this morning, Linda Berry has had a cartoon strip for 30 years, and she was on the radio talking about how you can test cortisol levels in spit. Get your stress down. And she teaches people to draw who say, I can't draw. Like Tara and I were all about, you know, you can tell a story, you can write. Don't say I'm not a writer, blah, blah, blah. So she was just explaining the power of art to learning how to draw and what it does to your brain and how it puts you into a whole nother area. So there's another form of collaboration. So the more that we kick one another's 
brains, the more that we hang out together, well, all of this is going to, I don't know, rise. It just, it happens in a different way than when you're in a rubber room all by yourself saying, how are you going to tell people about mathematical genius? Right. Uh, have any of you uh, done anything with crowdfunding sites like Kickstarter or Patreon? And there's a whole mess of others. Mm -hmm. And uh, if so, what's your experience with that? Or what do you know? I know there's a uh, there's a talk later on today, but I guess I can't wait to. <laughs> <laughs> Time to do it. As we speak, my good friend David Dwayne is here up from Chicago. He did a Kickstarter campaign to start Mouse Books because he was very concerned that people, he was on the, the subway in, or the L in Chicago looking at people. He's like, my God, people don't read anymore. So mouse books are these little tiny books, everything from Jane Austen to um, Dostoevsky, anything that's in public domain. His goal was to get $26,000 in a Kickstarter campaign. He's a journalist and an architect and very specific. He went to the Kickstarter office in New York and said, how do I do this? He raised $53,000. So there is a pathway to doing that, and there are specific criteria on how you're going to get people to contribute to your Kickstarter or whichever format you use. Go to, go to New York. And, I mean, if you're, if you're David Dwayne, that's what you do. <laughs> I was going to say, I think um, I think it is the new way of fundraising. Um, I, I don't see, you know, different boards we're on. It's always fun with our multi-generational approach to, like, I am not going to get dressed up and go to a fundraiser. Like, that, that is not going to happen. Like, Tara likes to be in yoga pants at all times. So, like, if I can do it from home. But then your story becomes super important. That so what piece has to be translatable and universal enough. Um, you know, we're inundated with it because of the accessibility. Um, so you have to know, you know, and I, I say to that, having a good understanding of who your tribe would be um, before you start that and making those collaboration points before you ask them to fund you is also another really important piece of that. And because then once people believe in what you do, they'll also help spread that word. And so it's not you on Facebook every day, like, hey, still make your money, you know, like, but, but yeah, I think they're great sources. And another really big, in fact, it's actually something we do for our story, um, story catchers nonprofit is businesses will ask me to come in and consult to say, how do we tell the story? How do we raise money? And so for me, it's that I have to listen to what they're looking for and then try to help them craft that for these new platforms of telling their stories. I don't have much to add. I haven't had a lot of success in that world. Um, but I think I think what I often do wrong is not knowing the audience well enough, and it's not visual enough. Like if I can get my brother, who's a filmmaker, on board, he can make me a two-minute clip, and that'll raise fifty thousand dollars, no problem. But when I'm there with my iMovie, like, hi, be in front of the computer, um, it just doesn't have the same appeal. So being able to use the resources of other humans who have those skills to help you really get that flashy sales pitch, that, I think that matters. And I guess we should remember too, there are other ways of making money for your projects, whether it's community partnerships um, or the more formal fundraisers, which is also not my bag. Um, but there are people who are willing to do it. When I talk to my business-minded friends, I mean, they think all this, this sort of like this fundraise crowdfunding is just madness. To them, it's just, you show, you do your pitch, you show them what you will get back from it, and then they will give you the money. And it's just, they're so good at that. I wonder why artists struggle at, at doing that. But I think that's a world that many of us aren't really adept at and don't feel comfortable in. So 
I'm hoping some of our business friends can maybe help teach us those skills a little better. Which I think is, Untitled Town is a great example, a really great example of tapping into their resources when they're like, how do we get Roxanne Gay here? It's because we've got corporate support of, you know, telling our stories and, you know, that they, that, that pull for the businesses too are a really good, um, you know, it's a really good way for them, you know, to be a part of something. And I think people want to, and people want to support artistic um, adventures as well. Uh, we just have to give them reason and, and that ironclad, like, hey, this is something we can do. Podcasting is easy, then you can get sponsors for your podcast by, you know, saying that they're at the beginning of your podcast, like we're doing like an insurance one and, you know, um, you know, but you can, you can do it a lot of different ways. But I think um, with all things, I find meaningful connections with um, even your corporate sponsors is a great thing too, when it really does make sense that they would be, um, you know, like this insurance company that has sponsored story catchers in the past or, you know, and it's that makes sense of they're protecting the story of your life. And that's how, that was the tagline that we used to, to make that connection, that they're, they're protecting the story of your life. Like, because we wanted to make that like, yeah, it's, it's beneficial to them, but how does that connect to my, my listeners or my readers or my people? Um, and we are doing the same thing, just in a different approach. And so I think it's finding that way too. I gotta say, somebody who teaches marketing and advertising, it's a beautiful slogan. Yeah. And Thanks, I, I came up with that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like, can you come teach a class for me first? Yeah, <laughs> sure. Uh, do you have any other questions or uh, any, anybody else want anything? Um, well, I, I'll, I'll just kind of like let's let's uh, kind of close on something, and this might be a, a, a tough one, so um, prepare accordingly. Um, so I, I think uh, the kind of the consensus is that there's a lot of value in kind of changing up the norms and, and figuring out different ways, but uh, to tell a story, right? Um, but how can we continue to keep breaking those formats? How can we can continue, and, and should we continue to keep breaking those formats? Um, and really, should we even start to reevaluate? Because we are in an era of new media. We are in an era of multimedia, of hybrid forms, whether seed or otherwise. Um, that uh, it almost begs the question: like, should I'm not, I'm not saying like you know completely reevaluate the aesthetic canon right now because we, we've got like what you know seven minutes left. That's not going to happen. <laughs> um, but just kind of in your perspective, like, do you think that we maybe just like as 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 a culture, as a society, as storytellers, kind of like stop and kind of reevaluate? the ways that we thought about story in the first place and what could we maybe do when we do that. I have the mic, so I'll start. And I don't like thinking things through. So, <laughs> so it's perfect for me. Um, I, you know, every time that I've been successful of breaking a mold, it's actually by being more truthful to old models. And I think that's what people are like, oh, this is this new thing that you do? Like, oh, you're bringing storytelling a lot. I'm like, uh, it, guys, it's been around for like a really time like it's not new like and I think that that's that's that is it's using some of the technology that we have to enhance or to go back to um, with story catchers in general um, I have kept all pretty much all of the pomp and circumstance out of it on purpose because it should be about that person and their story. So for me, that means it's a stripped bear, it's a mic, it's a you know movable stand, um, very intentionally so that the, the art form itself gets to be what's in the forefront. That being said, I love a good old multimedia something, you know, like I think there's something for everything, but I think I, I 
personally hesitate when someone's like, I'm out to break all the, like, I, I don't know if you get to say that. Like, I think you have to, again, when we're talking about making messes and collaborating with people, I think that if, if we come to somewhere new because of that, awesome. But I'm not interested in being new or avant-garde or just breaking something to break it. Um, I think that there's something to be said about honoring and kind of bringing us back to it. Like I was saying, that is what podcasting is. Like when people are, what is podcast? Well, it's a radio. Like it's a radio show. Like when we're talking about like, you know, that, and I think that is what's this beautiful part about it of even these, you know, like the dramas that we're talking about. Like that's, my grandma understands that because that was her form of drama was sitting around a radio and listening for with her family. So we're doing the same thing. It's just now I listen to mine on my iPhone instead of on your dialed up, you know. So again, it's, it's, it's yes, it's new, but it's not. It's this returning art is kind of timeless in, in that way. So for me, everything old, is, everything new, old yeah. is new. Yeah, and all that, you know, nothing new under the sun and all the good, you know, like to that point, I guess for me, that's always the draw. It's not to it's not to be rebellious just for being rebellious. It's just how can we use what is available for us today to connect more? Yeah, 100% agree. I think um, we have to remember that so much what we're talking about, it's all transferable skills. You, know, you can write a podcast, you can write a book, you can write a screenplay. The key common denominator there is your writing. You know, And so I'm really ambivalent about what the future holds for me and others in terms of these different mediums because like most of human history, you know, if I just spent the rest of my life really committing myself to writing solid books, I'd probably be better at it than I am if I try, you know, 45 different models and mediums for everything under the sun, but I'm just at a place in my life where I want to give myself a crack at everything, you know, because I don't want to, you know, later regret not trying. If writing is the foundational point for me, then how many different venues and, and mediums can we can we work that into? And so I think the key here is, again, not to be afraid of trying it. Um, process of a product, again, eventually we'll get a little more proficient at it. Maybe the counterpoint to that is to stop trying so hard. I think of the Walden schools where children can't have anything digital, no TV, no computers. They're digging in the earth, they're making skits, they're, um, they're dancing, they're creating sculpture. So the creative piece, sometimes you gotta get quiet, you know? And I often think of how her post-it notes found it and how his penicillin discovered it was somebody was just working at it, working at it, working at it, and it was open and oh my God, there it was. So I don't think that we necessarily have to force it. We know that if we do, you know, like with Tara's talking about pomp and circumstance, it's gotta be a certain way. No, she just took the lid off of it. And that's how it then evolved. And so the creativity piece is key to continuing to break different channels and getting more women involved. <laughs> and to old people. <laughs> and to young people. Oh, how about just to people? Yeah. Very good. All right, well, thank you to our panelists, Catherine Gall, BJ Hollers, and Tara Bocati. Thank you so much. Thank you to Untitled Town, and thank you all for being here. You just listened to a Phoenix Studio production, the podcast network for the University of Wisconsin Green Bay. For more podcasts, visit uwgv.edu forward slash podcasts.